Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I am Michael Kingswood, retired naval officer, Christian, dad, and writer extraordinaire. I mostly focus on science fiction and fantasy, but I've been known to write just about everything under the sun, including the occasional romance. The purpose of this podcast is to share my stories with you, the reading slash listening public. So sit back and relax, because I'm going to tell you the story. Hey friends, I'm Michael Kingswood, and it's story time, and it's Story Saturday. Continuing on with reading of fiction that were written by me. Entirely by me, and not just... (laughs) I'm not sure I was going with that. Anyway, um, we're drawing near to the book that we've been going doing now for a long, long time, which is Outdweller, Glimmer of Real Chronicles number 2, which, though, was written by me, was read by the awesome Kevin Sapp. Um, we got this week, and I think next week, there's three more chapters left after this week, and I think we'll just get them all done next week, have a nice, uh, slightly longer episode next week. Then we'll get back to doing short fiction. We'll be reading the stories out of stories from The Great Challenge, which is now on pre-order for release on February 1st in all ebook domains, especially ssnstorytelling.com. Go there, search for stories from the Great Challenge. It's a featured product. Uh, that is, of course, the website that is owned by SSN Storytelling, which is a publishing company that handles me. And uh, going to them nets me more profit and is gives me more control over what's going on. Obviously, there's some uh, differences there. Like if you're a dedicated Kindle dude or a dedicated Nook dude or dudette and you want to go with them, hey, I don't mind that. You can get it there. But it's always better to come directly to the author and leave out the middleman. Anyway, that is up. Pre-order now. And uh, I will love you a long time. Um, but like I said, the, we're almost to get into those stories, uh, one weekend. So we'll start reading those about one week after the book releases, which actually works out. Okay. Right. Gives people some time to, uh, uh, get ahead of things. <laughs> if you want to read them both, both ways. Anyway, so. That's neither here nor there for what we're talking about uh, today, which is Outdweller. Uh, we're drawing near to the end, as I said a minute ago, uh, the climactic engagement with the uh, murderous entity and the uh, the uh, psychotic schmuck who summoned it, we think. We'll see. Obviously, the heroes are dead. They're doomed. Uh, but we got to see how they die. So let's continue on with the next two chapters here. Uh, please enjoy Mr. Sapp reading these, and I'll talk to you on the flip side. 32. The Waiting Blackness There was no more time to think. There was barely time to react at all. As the blackness loomed closer, towering overhead like a wave about to crash down all around her, Melanie dipped her hand into the pouch that kept her spell components. Her fingers quickly traced the shape of a carefully wrapped item and clinched around it, reacting to its familiar feel with the instinctive insight of hundreds of caresses, hundreds of incantations. She knew this thing without needing to think on it, the essence of the very first spell Timon had ever taught her. The words of the incantation swept off her tongue without effort, 
so often had she given them voice in the past. Even had she the time to pull out her spellbook, she would not have needed to consult it, so intimate was the spell. As she chanted and brought her hands together, crushing the cloth-wrapped seeds between them and twisting, she saw Timon's face, his dark green eyes sparkling with pride the way they had the first time she had successfully done this. And then light, pure white light, erupted from her hands, where the component was consumed, and spread outward. She had put more into the illumination spell than she realized. It had never burned this brightly before. It outshone a dozen lanterns, but somehow it was not painful to look at. At least, not for her. The outdweller, on the other hand. It let out a shriek, from surprise as much as from pain, Melanie thought. But suddenly the tendril's grip on her legs eased, and it seemed as though the blackness, which had been about to consume her a mere second before, was again drawing back, as it had from Lauren's spell earlier. Except that, this time, it was like a rapid retreat more than a grudging withdrawal. Understanding came all at once, and Melanie cursed herself silently for a fool. The outdweller dwelt in a world of darkness. Here, on this plane, it had surrounded itself in darkness. In some ways, maybe it was darkness. Lauren's attack back at the sister's house had been one of light. Melanie's fire had been the deciding factor in driving it off, maybe. But how much of that was because of the fire's heat, and how much because of the light that came with it? Melanie was beginning to think more of the latter than the former. She shouted a secondary incantation and pushed upward with her hands, and the blazing light raised a few feet up into the air, then sat there, shining away. It would not last long, but maybe long enough. She pulled another packet of seeds from her pouch and began the primary incantation again. Almost immediately the tendril eased its grip further, as though anticipating the illumination to come. When it did come, the tendril shot backwards, away from her as it released its grip entirely. With satisfaction, Melanie spat a curse at the thing. The satisfaction faded when she realized she still could not move her legs. Scowling, she again floated the ball of light, then used her palms to push herself back, away from the barrier of blackness, as quickly as she could. When she had put ten feet from herself in the outdweller, somehow she knew it still lurked there ahead of her, she pushed herself up to a seated position, and again chanted the incantation of light. Again, she crushed the seeds, and again, her little glowing ball appeared. Then she spoke the incantation again, and again the component was destroyed. The ball of light grew larger, and far, far brighter. Again, and again. And then she placed her hand into her pouch and found no more of the carefully wrapped seeds. It would have to do. And it looked like it was beginning to. All around, the blackness was pushing away from their circle again, and even the tendrils that were still attacking Lauren pulled back, their aggression fading before the onslaught of illumination from Melanie's spell. She dared to think that this one spell, multiplied onto itself as many times as it had been, might be enough to protect them completely for as long as Lauren needed to finish the ritual. Except that this time she did not intend to merely float it in place. She drew her hand back, and the ball went with it. As she brought her hand forward again, she shouted out the secondary incantation, with a little added twist at the end, and the ball of brightness flew from her fingers. It flashed between its little siblings, hanging there in the air nonchalantly, and impacted the barrier of blackness. It was like a stone dropping into a still pool of water. The blackness boiled backward from the ball of light, flooding away from it in a wave that sped in both directions around the circle. Then the ball of light sunk deeper, and the blackness closed in behind it, and it was gone. Melanie blinked, 
drawing in a quick breath as the momentary elation she had felt over the spell's apparent success faded a bit. Like the dirt kicked up by a stone impacting the bottom of the pool, light flared through the blackness in a hundred different places. Pinpricks and gaping beams of radiance swelled from the darkness, their number spreading outward from where the ball struck like a rash, but a rash of purity. And then, with a brilliant flash, the darkness was ripped asunder. Little bits of blackness flew in all directions like dust before a great wind. Even as they flew, the bits of black seemed to shrivel and crumple apart until they disappeared entirely. Melanie sat there, stunned at what had just happened. It took her a moment to take it all in and to fully comprehend what she was now seeing. Off to her right, a group of black, shiny things writhed around atop each other in a little pile. They scrambled as though fighting over something. A second pile lay off to the left, this one larger, made up of more beasts. Whatever they were, their sudden illumination made both piles stop their ceaseless motion. Then, a second later, the things began retreating, scampering back from the new light, toward the shadows of the tree line and between the rocks on the mountain's flank. In ones and twos at first, then in greater numbers, and with greater speed, they went. Melanie only noticed them in passing, though. The outdweller held all of her attention. It had fallen onto its back, but it was slowly regaining its feet. In the replenished firelight and the illumination of her two floating lights, the beast was fully revealed. The smoky shadows that had obscured it before were gone, cast asunder by the force of the light she had used. It was massive, more powerfully built than she had realized, and it had seemed barrel-chested enough before. Rippling muscles beneath scaly flesh that housed spikes and thorns of all sizes promised no end of pain when it took her. And the fire smoldering in its double pair of eyes promised that no matter how she fought, how she resisted, it would take her and bring her back to its home plane with it when it finally departed her world, and never grant her the release of death. The promise of eternal punishment for her insolence bore down on her mind, the certainty of the Outdweller's victory casting all hope aside. She wanted to scream, to push herself away, to find a way, any way, to escape, to hide, to pull a mountain down atop herself if only it would protect her from this beast's wrath. But she could not bring herself to look away from its fiery stare and the agony it promised. The Outdweller smiled, or made an expression that she could only understand as a smile, hot in its gleeful malevolence, and took a step toward her, then another. Melanie's mind screamed to run, but her legs were still numb to the hip and did not respond. Or maybe she did not want them to respond. Suddenly, she could not remember why she should. Those eyes. They seemed to grow larger, opening wide to engulf her. Large as the outdweller was, they made the rest of it seem tiny by comparison. She saw through them and gasped. Within lay fire beautiful and terrible fire that promised to caress even as it rent her soul asunder. She shuddered. She screamed. She moaned. But she could not move. It was directly atop her now, the sickly sweet sour stench of its body filling her nose, making her want to gag as the taste of it seemed to penetrate her tongue as well. It reached down with its huge talons, digits that would tear her flesh apart at the lightest grip. And still, she sat still. Fascinated by the play of fire within its eyes. It was so brilliant, so agonizing, so seductive. A sudden new noise reached her ears. 
Coming from behind her somewhere, it seemed extremely loud, but for some reason she could barely register it. The noise was not worthy of her notice, not compared with the nearly audible roar of the inferno within those eyes. The outdweller, though. The noise seemed to strike it like a physical blow. The beast stopped midway toward grabbing her and fell back a half-step. Its head quirked upward, breaking contact with Melanie's gaze to stare at something behind her. Reality came back to her in a rush. What had been happening in Lytleton these last several nights? The journey through the grass to this site? The battle against the darkness? Reality. And with it, all-consuming horror over what had almost just happened. She did scream then, and fell backward onto the dirt, throwing up her hands defensively as though that alone could ward off the gargantuan beast that stood less than one of its paces away from her. Again, that new noise came, intruding on Melanie's sudden panic as she recognized it for what it was. Lauren's voice. He had spoken a single word, using the same guttural tongue he had been chanting in at the start of the ritual. That word must have held some measure of power, because again, the outdweller moved backwards. Though not as far this time. It steeled itself visibly and managed to shrug off most of the effect of Lauren's spell, whatever it was. One of its great talon hands moved behind its back, and when it emerged again, the talons were clasped around something long, black, and serpentine. Melanie cringed even more than she was already, as she recognized it for what it was. A great whip. But not like any whip she had ever seen. This one cast about, even though the outdweller held its handle motionless. Then, it flicked in her direction, and she scrambled backwards. It missed her, barely, but she got a better look at it as it did, and she screamed again at this latest horror. The whip was alive. A living serpent, black and hooded around its head, like a cobra. Its eyes burned red like the outdwellers, as did its fangs. Drops of some foul fluid dripped from its mouth, sizzling the earth where they fell at Melanie's side. She kicked herself backwards again, but then stopped, surprised. Her legs worked. A moment ago, they had been colder than the deepest winter and completely immobile. Now, they at least obeyed her commands, even though they did not feel all that much warmer. How? But there was no time to wonder about that right then. Lauren shouted again. But this time, the outdweller did not move backward. Instead, it flicked the serpent whip in his direction. It seemed to lengthen as it moved, stretching further than Melanie would have thought possible, and then even more. It would have no trouble crossing the distance between the outdweller and the Inquisitor. He could not possibly avoid the whip as quickly as it came toward him, but he seemed unconcerned. He still had his shield, after all. The serpent whip struck Lauren's shield, and again the blue light flashed around him. Then... The whip continued onward toward him. Lauren's eyes widened in surprise, in sudden fear, and then the serpent whip struck him, and he vanished beneath the serpent's coils. 33. Inflamed Melanie cried out in denial as Lauren was engulfed. It could not take him. Let it. The thought came unbidden, and with it a wave of self-loathing. What cared she if the Inquisitor was killed here this night? She had been ready to do it herself not so long ago. Only her realization that she, that they, needed Lorid for this night's work, and her friend's intervention, had stopped her. He had been more than eager to profit from her death this night as well. What was good for the goose was good for the gander. Hell, she ought to dance a jig and thank the outdweller for saving her the trouble. And you can take that thing yourself, can you? 
She looked away from the squirming serpent coils, all that was visible where the Inquisitor was a moment ago, and toward the Outdweller. It wore a cruelly satisfied expression, or at least that is how Melanie interpreted the look on its face, as its whip did its work. She swallowed and pushed herself to her feet. She wobbled for several heartbeats, but managed to retreat a step, both grateful that she was no longer the focus of the Outdweller's attention and ashamed by the truth that she knew without a doubt. Without Lauren, she could not prevail, and she would die here tonight. Or maybe not. The promise of being dragged to the beast's plane and tormented for its pleasure forever returned to its place at the front of her brain. Melanie snarled, in anger at the horror that promise evoked within her and the helplessness that she had felt just moments ago beneath the beast's gaze, and in frustration that she was going to have to come to Lauren's aid. Again. It was just not fair but there was no help for it. She considered, and rejected, a number of components from within her pouch. All were for spells that she knew would be useless in this fight. Light. She needed more light. But she could not find any. No components for any illumination spell she knew remained within her pouch, and without them... Her fingers closed on something soft, almost crumbly. Withdrawing the carefully wrapped object from the pouch, she brought it up to her nose and inhaled. She knew the sulfurous odor would be nearly enough to overpower her, knew what this material was for, but all the same, she had to confirm it. It had been months, more months than she wanted to think, since she had attempted this spell. It had been among the last Timon taught her, though, truth be told, she never had truly gotten the hang of it. She had forgotten she still had this component mixture at all. She must have grabbed it up by accident while she was packing her equipment for the night. Fortunate that she had. If she could pull this spell off... Lauren cried out, more a shout of power and command than anything else, and for a moment the coiling snake whip expanded as though being repulsed by some tremendous force. But then, just as quickly, the coils collapsed back down. Lauren's next cry was one of anger and... fear? He did not have much time left if he was letting that show. Trying not to remind herself that she was about to save his sorry neck for the second time in one night, Melanie clapped her hands together bursting the sulfur mixture's casing and smearing the concoction all over her palms. Then, she turned so she could see the bonfire from the corner of her eye and raised her arms, one pointing at the bonfire and the other at the outdweller. Then she began her incantation. The pain lasted for an eternity, and just when it seemed it would never end, it got worse. It spread from his chest and shoulder to his arm, to his belly, to his leg, to his other arm, to both hands, to his feet, and on and on until there was not a single part of his body that did not burn with agony. Any one of the points of pain would have been bearable. Any two or three, maybe. But dozens? He vaguely recalled screaming, screaming until he had no more breath to scream with, despite the urge to scream all the more, all the louder. But it was all he could do to gasp in what should have been a lungful of air. But instead, all that came through was the barest of breezes, not nearly enough to satisfy his need. He tried again, somehow, but again it was not enough. Not enough to allow him to scream, and also not enough to quench his need for fresh air, though it was just enough to stop him from passing out. This new torment, the agony of being smothered without release, built upon his other pain until his entire world consisted of nothing else. Had there ever been anything else? He did not know. He could see nothing but blackness, hear nothing but that awful skittering sound and the last remnants of his scream. 
smell nothing but a rancid stink like rotting meat, think of nothing except for his torment and the desperate need to escape it. But try though he might, he could not move to get away. And so he lay there, a tiny part of his mind managing to wonder how long this could go on before he went well and truly mad. There was no answer. Time, if there was such a thing as time, slowed to a crawl, each moment an eternity of torment that was only eclipsed by the next, and then the next. And then, all at once, something changed. His foot ceased hurting, then his lower leg. Slowly, but with a quickening pace, his other limbs and then his torso ceased their endless ache until, all at once, the last of the agony left him. His lungs functioned again. He breathed in the largest gulp of air he ever had and cracked his eyes open. A new agony assaulted him as light, light so bright it threatened to blind him, forced him to turn his head away and clinch his eyes shut again. A blessedly long moment devoid of pain passed, and he tried again. This time he could see without as much difficulty. The brilliant light had dimmed. Regardless, he could make out details. A large fire burning off to his left, trees at the edge of the darkness beyond it, and things, black insectoid things, scurrying away from him, or, more correctly, away from the source of that brilliant light and toward the shadows on all sides. Revulsion filled him as he realized that those things had been all over him, that they were what had caused all his pain. He quickly felt all over himself, but could find no wounds, or any hint of one. So, how... A loud cry from the rear caused him to turn around. A woman stood not far away, dark-haired and lovely, wearing a dress that had once been fine, but was now an irreconcilable mess and a frightened expression on her face. And to the left, a great mammoth beast that clutched at some sort of whip in one hand. The beast brought the whip down, and it coiled around a small man who collapsed beneath the weight of the strange whip's coils. It all came back to him in a rush. The outdweller. Lauren. The murders. Melanie. Julian grunted and forced himself to stand, but only got as far as rolling over and pushing himself to his hands and knees when Melanie drew something from her belt pouch and rubbed it between her hands. Then she said a quick incantation, in a tone of voice he remembered from her so well, the tone that said she was trying not to show how frightened she was, and that fear made her angry. Any sane man would stay away from a woman speaking in a tone like that. She finished the incantation and waited. For a couple seconds, nothing happened. Then the heat from the bonfire at his back doubled, no, tripled at least, and the entire area was bathed in a yellow-white glow that reminded Julian of a piece of metal that had just been withdrawn from a smith's forge. The outdweller recoiled from the burst of light, lifting its free hand to shield its eyes. A heartbeat later, a horizontal column of white flame, as thick around as both of Julian's thighs put together, struck the beast in its chest. Strangely, it did not seem as though the flame was hurting it very much. No smoke rose from its chest, despite the scorching heat of the flame. All the same, the outdweller stumbled backwards, raising its other hand to cover its eyes, and letting the strange whip fall to the ground. As soon as the whip's handle struck the ground, its coils exploded outward, and Lauren rose from a crouch, his staff held in both hands in front of himself. He looked harried, and he bled from his nose and the left side of his neck. But right then, the expression he wore was one of surprised amazement as he beheld the flame Melanie was directing against the outdweller. 
His eyes flicked from Beast to the bonfire to Melanie, and he mouthed something soundlessly to himself. Then, all at once, the great stream of fire winked out, and the area was plunged back into comparative blackness. Julian blinked, and for a moment could not make out anything at all while his eyes adjusted. Then, by the comparative dimness of the two floating globes of light, he saw the outdweller beginning to recover itself, and his spirit sank. What happened to that fire? He looked over his shoulder and saw that the bonfire, so large just a few minutes ago, had been reduced to little more than a softly glowing pile of ash. A few larger coals smoldered in the center of the fire pit, but that was it. In a flash of insight, Julian realized what had happened. Melanie's spell had not created the fire, or lent it any extra power. It had merely sped up the rate it went through its fuel, consuming every scrap of it, and all the energy it contained, in a few moments, as opposed to the hours it would normally have taken to burn down. Pretty impressive, but where did that leave them now? Right back where they started, from what Julian could tell. The smart thing to do was run. Every fiber of his being told him to do that. Across the way, Julian saw Radric stirring, pushing himself up. Melanie showed no signs of backing off, and, annoyingly enough, Lauren was stalking toward the outdweller, his lips compressed into a determined scowl. Muttering an annoyance about his lack of good sense, Julian boosted himself up onto his feet and grabbed up his dagger, which lay on the ground near his feet. Then, stumbling every other step and wishing again that he had his sword, he advanced. Okay, so, like I said, drawing down near the end, climactic battles, and, uh... Hope you guys enjoyed that one. So tune back in next week for the final few chapters of the adventures, uh, of this adventure at least, of Julian, Radrick, Melanie, and all their friends and frenemies. And you know what to do in the meantime. Go by the website, sign up for the whaling list at michaelkingswood.com. Go over to ssnstorytelling.com and pre-order Stories from the Great Challenge. And, of course, like, subscribe, share what we're doing with everybody, and come back next time. So, Storytime by Michael Kingswood is brought to you by the cutest puppy in the world. Look at the little puppy girl. I'm sorry. I like her a lot. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. For information on all my books, visit michaelkingswood.com or visit my web store at ssnstorytelling.com. My books are all available through all the various e-tailers, but buying direct from me nuts me the most profit. For information on new releases and other special deals in the future, sign up for my newsletter on my website. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyrighted by Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music is copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved.